morning and welcome to Subject ACT on 2XXFM 98.3 Community Radio, Canberra's iconic and independent radio station. For the next 30 minutes, Subject ACT will explore local affairs from a curious and informed perspective, affairs with a global dimension. I'm Sophie Singh, your host for today's program, and it's lovely to have your company this morning. Since the beginning of the year, we've heard a lot of discussion about energy supply, the blackouts in South Australia, and what part, if any, renewable energy played in this drama. A key part of the debate, at least from the government side, has been to criticise efforts to restrict coal seam gas drilling in Victoria and New South Wales. Let's shed some light on coal seam gas and what the debate is all about. Our guest this morning is a long-term environmental activist, Canberra local Claudia Caton. Claudia has campaigned for many years against logging old-growth forests and more recently against coal seam gas drilling on agricultural land. Claudia's particular focus is on the risk posed by coal seam gas drilling in the Pilliga. Hi Claudia, it's lovely to have you with us this morning. Thanks Hello, for your time. Sophie. Thanks. Claudia, you're obviously passionate about the Pilliga, the environment and the people. A lot of us, including myself, have never been to the Pilliga, so I'm hoping that you can set the scene for us. Where is the Pilliga? The Pilliga runs west of the Newell Highway between Gunnedah and Narrabri, and it's a long stretch. That's uh, 110 k's of highway. Not all of it is the Pilliga, but the Pilliga stretches west in a vast area of scrub that covers about 3,000 k square, and it's the largest continuous bushland left in New South Wales. The geology is mostly sandstone, which creates some amazing outcrops here and there, but it is largely fairly flat with fascinating dry creek beds covered in interesting sometimes intriguing scats and tracks apparently there's about 900 plant species but the dominant ones are the cypress pine and the she oak amongst others it's a vast tract of land why is it called the pilliga what's the meaning of the word pilliga it was derived from the gumroy word billiga meaning swamp oak or possibly another casuarina she oak that dominates in the pilliga are the cypress and the she oak are they large trees no it's not a deep montane forest it's open sclerophyll more there are more heavily forested areas in the valleys and so on but it's actually quite amazing as you walk through it to really change your sensory and visual perspectives because you're looking at the minute and then suddenly to the distance when something catches your ear or your eye keeps you on your toes in that way how do your senses experience it when you go into the pilliga what are the sights what are the sounds what are the smells how do you experience it well one time when i was there because it's just such a vast area of forest if there's a bit of wind that will dominate all the time and I uh, kept on thinking I could hear human voices in it even though there was absolutely not another living soul around I thought there were people there or occasionally we'd hear a car coming which was only one time correct (laughs) but uh, it's an amazing place when you're near uh, places of water then there's just an incredible bird life there it's very intensified in those places in such a dry area that where the water is, the bird life is extremely concentrated. You've been there a number of times. Do you have different experiences or see different things each time you visit? Yes, definitely, because it depends on the time of year and so what seasonal changes have occurred and what species will dominate. The uh, pilliga has many species of lizards and dragons and goannas and it's just amazing to see them. So many, such so densely populated, you can hardly turn without seeing a reptile around the place. It's very reptile friendly. The other experience of it is just if you're there on a new moon, it's amazing what the sky does out 
out there. It's incredible. Not only the uh, amount of starlight, but also you find out how many satellites are in the <laughs> in the sky. And this is a huge issue because it's dark sky area for Siding Springs Observatory, and they're also fighting against the light pollution of the flaring and gas wells as hard as they can too. You mentioned that the Piliga is taken from an Indigenous word. So who are the traditional custodians in the area? There's several different spelling. There's Gumaroi, Gamilaroi, Kamilaroi and Gamilaray. Whether I've even got those pronunciations correct, I did try to find out when I was there amongst the locals, the traditional owners, as to actually which name they identified with. And I think it varied on how far north they were of the nation because it's one of the largest Indigenous nations in Australia. So it's the second largest in the eastern seaboard. There is Dandry Aboriginal area, which is in the middle of the Pilliga, and it's got an amazing presence. And after reading Dark Emu by Bruce Pascoe, I read strong Gumaroi influences in the lie of the land and the growth of certain plants in particular areas. The place has also rock paintings and rock art, but there are a lot of many, many. I mean, the, the Gumaroi will tell you every part of it is sacred to them. And the Aboriginal areas are only just two small parts of it. Within the bush area, and it's obviously a vast bush area, there is farming. The PELs, or Petroleum Exploration Licences, are not just in the state forest of the Pilliga, but to the west and north. And the I'll just call them the Pilliga farmers for sake of convenience, but that's a large area. The Pilliga farmers and landholders are very concerned about the drawdown effect of coal seam gas activities on their bores, which they are often largely dependent upon. So the farming land is cleared land? Yes, largely, yeah. And what sort of farming? Uh, There's sheep, cattle, broadacre, further to the east there's the lambasted cotton there's all sorts of legumes chickpea and wheat barley etc so let's uh, now talk a little bit about the coal seam gas drilling and what's being proposed for the pilliga and we hear a great deal about coal seam gas and much of it is very emotional debate can we bring it back to basics first for those of us again including myself who know probably just the tip of the iceberg what is coal seam gas well coal seam gas is largely the methane gas that's found in coal seams at depths of 300 and 1,000 metres below ground. And the methane is in a near liquid state within the matrix of the coal formation. And in the Pilliga case, this coal seam is in the Gunnedah Basin, laid down in the Permian Age about 300 million years ago. And hydraulic fracturing or fracking is high pressure injection of sand, water and chemicals into the well to release gas flow to the surface. They're both as bad as each other, but fracking is more likely to release contaminants into the aquifers or even cause aquifer collapse, although I think both can. Both extraction methods are renowned for well casing failures, resulting in contamination both above and below ground. So fracking is one form of extraction. So sorry, what was the other form of extraction? CSG, coal seam gas. Ah, Yes. So that's drilling right into the seam itself. Yes, that's right. One of the main concerns is the integrity of the well casing casing. Oh, 
gosh, I can't even say that it's the main concern. There are so many in the extraction of it. What does a, a CSG drilling operation look like? Is it a big industrial plant? Yes, I'm quite amazed. I've been to a huge Santos gas field in Queensland and we were taken aback at how much power it takes to extract the gas that it beggars belief it's even economic and to extract it. I mean, there's high voltage power lines everywhere. Diesel fuel is used to operate the initial operations and dewatering operations. And each well pad takes up the size of about half a football field. And that's just one well pad. There's so many pipelines they've got huge easements of about uh, easements is the area on either side or the area that the pipe goes along and that's 40 meters wide and you could land a plane on these things the pipes have high point vents and low point drains and there's so much water involved in the csg extraction even after separation processes that the low point drains are designed to siphon water out of the gas and high point vents to extract the methane from the water so there's methane in the water and water in the methane and there's thousands of kilometers of these pipes then there are compressor stations that enable the transport of gas through a pipeline by constantly pressurizing it every 35 to 180 k's depending upon the number of wells and terrain they involve turbines motors and engines that are notoriously loud and cause many complaints in surrounding areas and that's often fueled by diesel fuel and then there's water treatment plants or however each state wants to euphemistically call them and they take up vast areas of water and land so they're huge dam areas and there's been a lot of issues with the containment of that water in high flood times and so on and so forth they're quite dangerous and the um, processing plants are vast industrial plants that refine the gas and then there's the reverse osmosis plants which is a water purification method that uses enormous amounts of energy as well and still leaves the issue of disposing with the resultant salt. So yes, it's just crisscrossed all across, often on a low level that you can't see behind the scrub. It's just everywhere and it pervades everything with the venting and the flaring, etc. all throughout the bush is quite frightening. So there's quite an extensive CSG drilling operations across areas of Queensland now? Huge, absolutely massive. One called Fairfield in Queensland, which I um, went to with some Pilliger farmers a couple of years ago is 2,000 square kilometres. And the environmental risks that you mentioned, the risks to the aquifers, is that damage already happening where those operations are now in place? Well, yes. There's been apparently quite a few spills in the Pilago already. There were spills back in the Eastern Star days and then even in the Santos days. I think about half of them, the experimental drill wells, had leaked in some form of another. I've seen one of those spillages and it's just encrusted with salt and nothing can grow it's dead but also what they're finding and I think it's been nine years since that spill that it's actually growing the dead zone is actually growing and then there's that underground gas methane explosion that occurred in uh, California last year that took four months to contain and they've got them in Queensland now I believe and that 
is quite frightening because that had a bigger carbon footprint than the spill in the Mexico Gulf. So that was pretty frightening. Claudia, do you think that there is any way that CSG drilling can be done safely? Not from what I've seen and what I've read. If you follow the path of the processes all the way, it would cost them too much to do it safely. I just absolutely cannot see how they could get any money by doing it in the most environmentally sound world's best practice. Flimsy pipes, corroded well casings. Well casings are made of concrete amongst other materials, but they erode very quickly with the sands and the, the corrosive materials that come through them. And sometimes the pipes have five-year guarantee on them and uh, the, the average life of a well is 15 years. And there's so many risks. The, the main issue is water at every point of the process. Each well extracts between 20 to 75,000 litres of water per day from the coal seam. It will contain some of the chemicals injected into the well, but also naturally occurring contaminants come back, such as the benzene, toluene, ethylbenzene and xylene or xylene or BTEX chemicals, naturally occurring radioactive materials, as well as heavy metals and other volatile organic compounds or VOX. So the earth is a very dangerous thing once you rip it open and it contains some pretty nasty stuff. The extracted water from the wells has many names in many places, but for the sake of convenience, we'll call it produced water here. And the extraction of so much water has been linked to land subsidence, the effect of which is the elevation and slope of surrounding water systems and damage to infrastructure. But dumping the water on the surface can poison livestock and agricultural areas. It can contaminate creek systems and bushland, fish and wildlife. It draws down aquifers, which deplete the bores that so much of Australia depends upon and dries up natural springs and wetlands that are vital for wildlife. But the CSG companies in Queensland regularly spray produced water as a dust suppressant on roads. The resultant toxic sludge has only been recorded by amateur concerned citizens on the ground. The EPA or Environmental Protection Agency doesn't seem to have any will or funds to investigate this or many of the other contaminations on people's bores. The produced water is so salty that it's the bane of the industry. They just can't get rid of it all. It's often held in dams where frogs, birds and other wildlife drink it and die and they're meant to find beneficial uses for it according to different state legislations but that's nearly impossible. Experiments with agriculture have failed and the processes for purifying it are prohibitively expensive as as it's classed as an industrial wastewater and CSG companies in Queensland have been caught illegally disposing produced water but monitoring, again, is by the citizens and not the EPA. It sounds like the impact has a real ripple effect in terms of who's affected uh, yeah. in ever-widening circles. And given the difficulties and the problems with salination yeah, in Australia's yeah. waterways, it sounds like a potentially devastating situation. Yeah. If you've just joined us, you're listening to Sophie Singh on 2XXFM 98.3 People Powered Radio. The program is Subject ACT, your local current affairs program, and we're with you every weekday from 8.30 to 9am. We're talking to Claudia Kate. Claudia is a long-term environmental activist and Canberra local campaigning to stop coal seam gas drilling in the Pilliga. Before we talk more about specifically what's happening and what's proposed for the Pilliga, let's enjoy a song, Good Morning Bougainville by Alistair Hewlett, not about struggle against coal seam gas drilling, but certainly about a very significant struggle with a mining company at the centre. This is Good Morning Bougainville.
In the pale light at the crack of dawn The village wakes to a sound like distant drums Volume builds across the dark fields Choppers moving in and down it comes Foreign aid, Australian made Death squads trained in Dunton, dropping hand grenades. Good morning, Bougainville. Good morning, Bougainville. Good morning, Bougainville. Good morning. Show post with the crumpling smile says, Bury the shame file, don't mention Bougainville. A copper mine owned by CRA, Australian capital dressed up to kill. Users use and losers lose. Blanket media silence keeps it off the news. Good morning, Bougainville. Good morning, Bougainville. Good morning, Bougainville. Good morning. To Parliament Hill Pull Australia out right now from Bougainville Send the word to Parliament Hill Pull Australia out right now from Bougainville Because of an Australian-backed military blockade People who deserve aid are dying on Bougainville Quad shoppers and patrol boats too All of them true blue Impose the boss's will Then hey surprise Medical supplies Are ceased and traded back For names by government spies Good morning Bougainville Good morning Bougainville Good morning, Bougainville. Good morning, Bougainville. Send the word to Parliament Hill. Pull Australia out right now from Bougainville. Send the word to Parliament Hill. Pull Australia out right now from Bougainville. Send the word to Parliament Hill Pull Australia out right now from Bougainville Send the word to Parliament Hill Pull Australia out right now from Bougainville 
and that was Alistair Hewlett with Good Morning Bougainville. We're speaking with Claudia Caton. Claudia, you mentioned before that there's already some preliminary drilling happening in the Pilliga. What's being planned overall in terms of coal seam gas operations? They're proposing 850 wells and that often increases as an operation proceeds, uh, we've noticed in Queensland. Santos, they've got a record replete with environmental and social blunders here and internationally. They want to sink 850 gas wells in and around the Pilliga on the Gunnada Basin. The pipelines would crisscross the country, dissecting and destroying the scrub and posing almost limitless problems for the farms that have pels on their property. There's almost no money in it for the farmers to have a well pad on their property. They're often gagged by non-disclosure agreements, so can't discuss the hell that they're forced to sign into. But there are exceptions. One farmer admitted to only receiving $285 per well per year, but still had to fight just to get their rightful payments. They track in declared weeds and contagions that by law the farmer has to control. The workers usually leave heaps of rubbish behind, sometimes even cutting fences, and the enormous increase in traffic creates clouds of dust. The lack of consideration shown by these companies just beggars belief. We've seen gates open when there was huge writing on them to please keep them shut. And on the wrong side of that gate, prized cattle were roaming right next to a compressor plant that was flaring all types of toxins. It's a a really important issue for rural Australia. On that note of cattle and agriculture in amongst gas wells, the pastoralists literally bank on the clean and green image of Australian livestock. And the very Australian Meat and Livestock Association that they pay for will not release the findings of a report on contaminants in meat near CSG wells in Queensland. The report was considered legally sensitive as it addresses liability and wouldn't release the findings of contaminants in meat. Just leaving livestock gates open can cost a fortune. Many times stud stock were left to wander into paddocks of different breeds, thus costing tens of thousands of dollars. So Claudia, what would be the health effects that calcium gas drilling could have on people in the region? Well, some of the known effects from the VTEX contaminants that I mentioned earlier and the volatile organic compounds, the short-term effects are ear, nose and skin irritation, dizziness, blinding headaches, loss of coordination and respiratory impacts. But more long-term exposure can lead to damage of the kidney, liver and blood system. Benzene has been uh, strongly linked to leukaemia and lymphoma and the naturally occurring radioactive materials have been linked to a wide variety of cancers. I know people who live close to processing plants in Queensland who are really struggling with the issues in their children and the effect on their learning. To go off track again, one thing that I forgot to mention before was that the farmers generally buy a block of land and that is their superannuation. They work the farm, that's all of their savings. And with coal seam gas in the area, they can no longer insure it. So they lose their whole future in the land that's been completely and utterly devalued, dewatered and destroyed and no one ever considers mine rehabilitation anymore so that's also an issue. And the health effects that you've described, these are now being documented as happening to people in Queensland who are on or living near those operations. Yes, but of course the chronic long term is too soon to document that and also the Queensland government never put in a baseline study to go from and 
they have the very, very sneaky ways of making people who complain about symptoms are fobbed off and documented and harassed. It's quite bizarre, the stories that I've heard that come out of there and how they're maltreated. Apart from the risk of pollution and contaminants, what are the risks to the health and the emotional well-being of people who are in the middle of this struggle? That is such a loaded question, it's hard to answer because when the Pilliga farmers met the affected Queensland farmers up at Canby Hall in, uh, a couple of years ago, we walked away feeling like we just had our souls ripped out of us. The depression and sense of disempowerment was so palpable. Their anger, their frustration, and these weren't just farmers, these were also just general landholders who just wanted a retired, quiet life. They were all gutted. It was just very, very upsetting. And of course, and this is a daily strain, and there's families who have to suffer flaring toxins and their kids have bleeding noses, they get very, very ill. Yes, I I could talk to you about the health issues and that's just a part of it, but just trying to negotiate against big business lawyers and if they want to take something to the land court, that's all the way in Queensland's case, all the way in Brisbane in the big smoke, they would need lots of money to back them up and nobody has the time and the energy to actually uh, demand their rights as a landholder under these circumstances. Let's talk about the campaign. Tell us more about what's happening uh, in the Pilliga to campaign against what sounds like a very vast operation that's planned for coal seam gas drilling in the Pilliga. Well, it's it's an amazing campaign. I've been to two events in the Pilliga where the Greenies, the Gumaroy and the Farmers display a great deal of mutual respect for one another and that's a very rare campaign and nearly all those who have been arrested by locking on to equipment over the years were local farmers as as opposed to city slickers, a retired Siding Springs astronomer and two Gumaroy men in various occasions but it was when I first came across the Pilliga unity between these groups that I was really hooked. I've never seen such a united stance on a project in such a sparsely populated area it's quite remarkable and inspiring yeah that's what really inspired me that living all the way in Canberra I was going to try to make the effort to spend more time on this issue and can you see the impact and the benefit that having a campaign and a campaign that sounds has brought a great deal of unity among the different groups that are opposed to coal seam gas drilling what impact that's having in the Pilliga and I imagine part of that is just the benefits to the emotional well-being that people don't feel quite so alone. Yeah, it's a huge benefit because the coal seam gas companies deliberately divide to conquer these communities and there's organisations like Lock the Gate that deliberately go out of their way to try to galvanise the communities. It involves discussion with traditional owners. They go door-to-door knocking to discuss the issues with landholders and so on and so forth. And it's a really galvanising community movement, I think, and it's a very important one. And as soon as people find out what the industry really is about and cut through the spin, then they are invariably on side when they see the evidence. Claudia, it's been great to have you with us this morning. Thanks for being here. Uh, It's been a really um, interesting conversation and thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Thanks so much, Sophie. I really appreciate that. You've been listening to Sophie Singh on Subject ACT, your local current affairs program on 2XXFM 98.3 Community Radio. This morning we've been speaking with Claudia Caton, long-term environmental activist 
activist about coal seam gas drilling and the risks posed by this in the Pilliga. Join us each weekday on Subject ACT 2XX from 8.30am to 9am where we explore local issues and affairs that reach out to have a national and global dimension. Thanks for your company and enjoy your day. I'm dreaming what 